Engaging sermons on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. A reading from the Acts of the Apostles. After Paul's escorts had taken him to Athens, they came away with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. Then Paul stood up at the Areopagus and said, You Athenians, I see that in every respect you are very religious. For as I walked around looking carefully at your shrines, I even discovered an altar inscribed to an unknown God. What therefore you unknowingly worship, I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and all that is in it, the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in sanctuaries made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands because he needs anything. Rather, it is he who gives to everyone life and breath and everything. He made from one the whole human race to dwell on the entire surface of the earth, and he fixed the ordered seasons and the boundaries of their regions so that people might seek God, even perhaps grope for him and find him though indeed he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we too are his offspring. Since therefore we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divinity is like an image fashioned from gold, silver, or stone by human art and imagination. God has overlooked the times of ignorance. But now he demands that all people everywhere repent, because he has established a day on which he will judge the world with justice through a man he has appointed, and he has provided confirmation for all by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection from the de- of the dead, some began to scoff, but others said, We should like to hear you on this some other time. And so Paul left them. But some did join him and became believers. Among them were Dionysius, a member of the court of the Areopagus, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. After this, he left Athens and went to Corinth. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Heaven and earth are full of your glory. Heaven and earth are full of your glory. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all you his angels. Praise him, all you his hosts. Heaven and earth are full of your glory. Let the kings of the earth and all peoples, the princes and all the judges of the earth, young men too and maidens, old men and boys. Heaven and earth are full of your glory. Praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. Heaven and earth are full of your glory. He has lifted up the horn of his people. Be this his praise from all his faithful ones, from the children of Israel, the people close to him. Alleluia. Heaven and earth are full of your glory. The Lord be with you. 
A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said to his disciples, I have much more to tell you, but you cannot bear it now. But when he comes, the Spirit of truth, he will guide you to all truth. He will not speak on his own, but he will speak what he hears and will declare to you the things that are coming. He will glorify me, because he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. Everything that the Father has is mine. For this reason I told you, that he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, St. Paul didn't do so well with this sermon at the Areopagus when he was in Athens. And we see him later say, I resolved that I would preach Christ crucified and him alone. Here, he was more philosophical, wasn't he? And he was trying to connect with what these people already had in some of their shrines and quoting some of their poets. He was trying to be relevant to them. And, uh, but it was a rather philosophical kind of uh, sermon. And they didn't quite get this resurrection of the dead when Paul mentioned it at the end of these recorded words. I resolved to preach Christ crucified. And that's where, as he continued proclaiming the good news, he began to bring people to the Lord crucified and risen. Now, this leads to a reflection about how we present certain issues. The church firmly believes in human reason. We can reason to the existence of God. We can't reason to certain truths that God has revealed to us that are beyond our ability to calculate the, the Trinity, the, uh, the Eucharist, and so forth. But when we come to certain basic moral truths, let's take the one that I'm dealing with all the time, the sanctity of life, the fact that it's wrong to kill a baby, that is something we can discern from reason alone. In fact, if our conscience is healthy, if our reason is healthy, it should be one of the most easy things to reason to, one of the most self-evident truths to understand and accept, that we can't kill innocent human life, because otherwise, how do we have a functioning society? Otherwise, how do we secure any kind of right or any kind of moral order. And there are plenty of reasons. Philosophical, you can argue philosophically about the value of life and set up a syllogism and come in many different, through many different pathways to the conclusion that you can't kill babies. You can argue it scientifically Science is on our side and continues to grow all the time in support of the pro-life position. 
You can argue it from psychology and sociology. Look at the impact that abortion has. You can argue very easily from a, a, an analysis of various studies how damaging, how harmful abortion is. Human reason is on our side. And when you look at what the church teaches about abortion, you see that the church actually begins from human reason. The church does not begin by invoking some kind of biblical verse or revelation that God has given to us, but rather from human reason, based in science, based in uh, just the observance of basic realities like the existence of the baby. Now, sometimes people take this too far. Well, before we go into that, we are a religious organization. We are a religious pro-life ministry, obviously, priests for life. But we start with reason, too. The presentations I give, the articles I write, the seminars I teach, we are presenting the arguments from human reason and science about and sociology and psychology, our whole healing program of Rachel's Vineyard, it begins with solid psychological research that Dr. Teresa Burke and others have done. So sometimes people will say, well, the audiences that we're speaking to are not necessarily religious. We have to be able to present to them the arguments of human reason. And with this, we agree a thousand percent. And we're actually doing it, and we have been doing it for decades. But taking a clue from what happened here with Paul, we need to also provide another little caution. And that is that we can't overdo this point. That, well, this is not a religious teaching, this is not a religious teaching. We hear religious leaders saying this is not a religious teaching when it comes to pro-life, when it comes to defending unborn babies, when it comes to fighting abortion. Yeah, but you can't take that too far. What I mean is, most of the American people are, in fact, religious. Faith is deeply rooted in American life. Most Americans are, in fact, looking to God, looking to Scripture, looking for divine words, looking for an affirmation from God himself about what the meaning of their life is and what the meaning of right and wrong would be. To miss the basis of our pro-life position in human reason would be a big mistake. But to miss the power and indeed the need to speak the religious part of this message is also a big mistake. First of all, because we're not going to be talking to people and engaging them in what is, for so many Americans, the key motivating factor in their life. It's their religion. What says the Lord? You know how many people this motivates? What does the Lord say? What does the fact that God in Jesus Christ, the second person of the Blessed Trinity, took human life upon himself, 
brought it through the crucible of death and took it to the throne on high. We're going to be celebrating in, it in, in, in a matter of days, and some places it's tomorrow, the Feast of the Ascension of our Lord. It's taking our human nature to the very heights of heaven. If that doesn't show what God thinks about the sanctity of human life, what does? And so we would miss connecting with what for so many Americans is the most important dimension of life, the religious dimension. And not only that, but the religious arguments for pro-life are the strongest ones. The, re the, the arguments from reason are the most basic ones, but the arguments from religion are the strongest ones, reinforcing, not replacing, and certainly not contradicting, but reinforcing what we know from human reason. We look at the baby in the womb scientifically. We have every, all, all the information we need to conclude this is a human child. And then we look at that child through the lens of faith and we say this child is the image of God, a reflection of his glory, a reflection indeed of the incarnation, God become a, an unborn child and one for whom he died and rose and ascended into heaven and is coming back again. Does that not strengthen the value we place on that child? We can say that in order to maintain civilization itself and basic human decency, we have to protect the weak. But then we can add on top of that, whatsoever you do to the least of my brothers and sisters, you do to me. And whatsoever you fail to do to them, you fail to do to me, that we are not simply defending life or civilization, we are actually defending Christ. Does this not add motivation and strength to what we already perceive by human reason? Paul gained a few converts here, appealing to reason. Then he preached Christ crucified for the rest of his life. Brothers and sisters, let us indeed proclaim the sanctity of life both from reason and from revelation, both from the scientific arguments and the word of God. Let us not dismiss either part of that equation. I mentioned our Rachel's Vineyard retreats for healing after abortion being based on solid psychological research. And you should become familiar with what that research says. We've got it there on our website, whatfollowsabortion.org. But Rachel's Vineyard retreats would not be what they are without the Word of God and the sacraments of the church. The grace, the religious teaching, People seek that, they are hungry for it, they base their lives on it. It is the center of gravity for so many people. Praise God. Let's preach Christ crucified and let's let the glory of the risen Christ illumine our minds and hearts, shape our lives, strengthen our pro-life commitment and lead us to the culture of life. Amen. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.